Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Friday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you to close out the week here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM. As always, we are glad you've decided to spend part of your Friday evening with us. We got a jam-packed show over the next two hours, a little NFL, a little college football, and a lot in between. We'll kick it off the guest lineup in about 20 minutes. Jeff Kerr, National Football League writer, CBSSports.com. Jeff is actually based up in Philadelphia, so we will certainly talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. We will preview Super Bowl 57. I also want to talk about the head coaching hires this week. D'Amico Ryans in Houston, Frank Reich in Carolina, and earlier today it became official Sean Payton with the Denver Broncos. Keep in mind, Arizona and Indianapolis here on February the 3rd, still without head coaches. So we'll get into all that with Jeff Kerr coming up in about 20 minutes or so. We'll go to Gainesville in the 9 o'clock hour, actually later in the 8 o'clock hour, probably in about 35 or 40 minutes. We'll go to Gainesville, Graham Hall, 247sports.com as we'll look at the Gator football team, Billy Napier, held a press conference this week after National Signing Day. Where is Florida at the quarterback situation? Where is the mindset in Gainesville after the Jaden Rashada fiasco as spring football a little over a month away? In the 9 o'clock hour, we'll go out to Los Angeles. Fernando Ramirez of the Sporting Tribune. I want to talk to Fernando, who covers the Chargers, about the hiring of offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, who they brought in after he was let go by Dallas. Justin Herbert had labrum surgery on his shoulder. How is that recovery going? And where are the Chargers after that collapse here against Jacksonville? After the night that Joey Bosa lost his mind here in Jacksonville. What have the last three weeks or so been like for the Los Angeles Chargers? We'll do all that with Fernando Ramirez coming up at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. And finally, earlier on in the 9 o'clock hour, We'll bring you a Hacker After Dark replay. Michael Gennetti, Spot Track. You want to know the Jaguar outlook for the offseason? You want to know about the salary cap, free agency, how much money can be saved? What players would save the most money against the cap? Where does the dead money roll in? Anything you possibly want to know when it comes to the Jaguars offseason, Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor, Arden Key, all of that. We will discuss with Michael Gennetti, the founder, the co-founder of SpotTrack. That is what that website does, and they are fantastic at it. And we will do that coming up later on in the show tonight. As always, to kick it off, though, on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night. And the birthday boy, 25 years young today. Happy birthday to Dylan Denmark. Let's do the big deal of the night. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. 
Not only is it Dylan Denmark's birthday, if that wasn't enough reason for you to celebrate on a Friday night, it is the one-year anniversary of the hire of Doug Peterson here in Jacksonville. A year's a long time, man. You think about how long a year is. It was a year ago today that Doug Peterson was hired on by Shad Khan as the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Of course, Trevor Lawrence was already here. I remember their first interaction when Doug Peterson showed up to the stadium and Jaguars.com had the cameras rolling when Trevor walked in and the handshake with Doug Peterson. It was really the first time the guys had met. And uh, from that point forward, think about everything that has transpired over the last 365 days. Doug Peterson put a fantastic coaching staff together with Press Taylor and Mike McCoy and Jim Bob Cooter, Mike Caldwell, Phil Rauscher, Brinson Buckner, go on down the line. The free agent class that was brought in, the draft class that was brought in, all the losses in October that turned into wins in December. And Doug Peterson has been responsible for all of it. One year ago today, Doug Peterson and Shad Khan, for that matter, right? I mean, Shad Khan made that hire amidst unbelievable criticism. You know it. I do too. Unbelievable criticism that A, Trent Baalke was still here and that B, people wanted Byron Leftwich. And despite doing at what the time was a very unpopular thing to do, Shad Khan said no to Byron Leftwich and yes to Doug Peterson. A year later, Byron Leftwich has been fired as the offensive coordinator in Tampa, and Doug Peterson is one of the five finalists for NFL Head Coach of the Year. So it's safe to say that the Jaguars got that right. There is absolutely no doubt the Jacksonville Jaguars and Shad Khan were right in that decision to hire head coach Doug Peterson. And look, moving forward, Jaguars are in good hands. Everybody wants to talk about Trevor, and with good reason. We spent a lot of time on that last night. Trevor Lawrence is this franchise. But make no mistake about it, Doug Peterson's going to be a big, big part of it. Why was Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne, so successful this year? Well, Trent Baalke brought them in, which were great moves by Baalke. They have Trevor Lawrence throwing them the football, but Doug Peterson is scheming them open. Doug Peterson, one of the best play callers in the National Football League, one of the more accomplished head coaches in the National Football League, and I don't know about you, but a year later, I am unbelievably happy that Doug Peterson is the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. The question is, what will this roster look like in the next couple of months? Rumors out of Cincinnati today, I won't go reports. There's some conflicting stories as to whether this was actually a report or not. But there's rumors, there's whispers that Cincinnati could potentially try to trade T. Higgins this offseason. Keep in mind, they're one offseason away from having to pay Jamar Chase huge money. Huge money. 
And they're not going to be able to pay huge money for both Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. T. Higgins is going to be on the final year of his contract in 2023. Tell you right now, man. If Cincinnati, and they're not going to do this, I don't think, but in a hypothetical world, if Cincinnati called the Jaguars and say, hey, we'll give you T. Higgins for number 20, what is it, 25 in the first round? And for a fourth round pick, would you do it? In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat, I would do it. There is absolutely no question about that. And I had people on social media today, on Twitter today, telling me, well, then you will never be able to re-sign Evan Ingram, and you'll never be able to do this, and the Jaguars need to address other positions. Yeah, that's all fine and well. If you bring T. Higgins in here with Zay Jones, Travis Etienne, Christian Kirk, and Calvin Ridley, barring injury, I'll see in the AFC Championship game. I don't care what they do at other positions. When you score 40 points a game, you're not going to lose very often. And there are, you know, look, the arguments against bringing in T. Higgins, you're going to have to pay him a lot of money at the end of this season. What are you going to do with Calvin Ridley? He's scheduled to become a free agent at the end of 23 as well. But you got to remember one thing. This is a win-now league, and the Jaguars are on a rookie contract with Trevor Lawrence. They're not going to have the flexibility in two years that they have right now. Not when you're going to be paying Trevor 40 to 45 to $50 million a year. You need to do what you can do right now before you lose that availability to do that because of Trevor's contract. And look, you're going to pay Trevor. Absolutely. I'm not saying that. But on his rookie deal and the way he played at the end of the year going into year three, you have opportunity there. And again, this is just a, a rumor. Who knows if Cincinnati would do this? Who knows if they're planning on trading T. Higgins? I'm just using him as an example. If Team A calls the Jaguars and says, hey, We'll give you this 25, 26-year-old wide receiver who has three consecutive 900-yard receiving seasons, two straight years of over 1,000, and we want the 25th pick in the draft? Yep. Absolutely. Because whoever you draft at number 25 will not be T. Higgins. And next year is a prime opportunity for the Jaguars to do something like that because Trevor is still on his rookie deal. And when Trevor is no longer on his rookie deal, you lose the availability to do that. Talk to some other teams around the league. Kansas City had to trade Tyreek Hill because of Mahomes' contract. Now they're back in the Super Bowl but they had to trade one of the best receivers on the planet because there was simply no more money in Kansas City because of Mahomes. The Chargers are about to have the same problem. They're going to pay Justin Herbert. There is legit conversation in Los Angeles that they may show Keenan Allen the door this offseason. You know, we just talked about Cincinnati. T. Higgins could potentially be shown the door because of what Cincinnati is going to have to pay Joe Burrow. It happens. It's part of life when you have a young stud quarterback that you're going to pay buku dollars to. 
But next year, the Jaguars don't have that because of the rookie deal. And Trevor cannot even get any extension, any more money until after year three. Something to think about. Again, I don't think Cincinnati's going to trade T. Higgins, but there is a rumor out there that that's a consideration for them because they realize what they're going to have to pay Joe Burrow probably this offseason and what they're going to have to pay Jamar Chase next offseason. 641-1010 is the phone number if you want to get involved tonight. On Hacker After Dark, you are more than welcome to do so on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Coming up next, Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com. He lives in the Philadelphia area. He hosts a daily NFC East podcast. Let's talk Philadelphia. Let's talk Kansas City. Let's talk Super Bowl 57. And let's look around the league a little bit. The head coaching hires. The Tom Brady retirement. There was a ton of NFL news that went on this week. A ton. We'll talk about all of it with Jeff Kerr, NFL writer, CBSSports.com, next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Friday evening, and we are glad you are with us. We are nine days away from Super Bowl 57 out in Glendale, Arizona, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. We've also had some interesting head coaching hires in the NFL over the last week. Let's get the very latest with my man Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jeff, how we doing, man? Uh, Hacker, just get ready for the Super Bowl, my friend. Uh, it, it's crazy to believe this. and you know, I thought in August they'd be really good. I didn't think they'd be this good and they'd be going to the Super Bowl, though. Look, uh, let's start right there. You cover Philadelphia. You have a – uh, daily NFC East podcast that you do. Uh, boy, what the job that Philadelphia has done this year, a relatively easy cakewalk in the playoffs with the Giants and a banged-up 49er team, and now here we are, NFC champions on the way to the Super Bowl. Just put in context, Jeff, what Philadelphia has accomplished this year. Well, I'll tell you what. I think both things can be true too, Ryan, right? You, know, you can have an easy cakewalk through the playoffs, and you can be really good. <laughs> Eagles are really good. Let, let's just, you know, call a spade a spade here. I mean, what they were able to do in the postseason was incredible. Uh, all their all-season signings have panned out. James Bradbury's been an all-pro. Hassan Reddick should have been a defensive player of the year finalist. You're seeing that this postseason. A.J. Brown's been incredible. Jalen Hurts has taken the next step. And I was talking to Tony Romo the other day about the Eagles and the Chiefs. And Romo said, this is an offense where it's not you're not going to figure it out this season. It's going to take teams' entire offseason, maybe to play them two or three times to even get a glimpse of figuring them out. And he said, oh, by the way, there was a team that played them three times and they couldn't figure them out. So th that's how dynamic that offense is. They can beat you in so many different ways. If they're not thrown for 300 yards, they're, they're running for 200. It's, they're such a multifaceted offense. It, they're such a problem for people. I think people just like to go with the easy schedule thing because that's what they do when you're on top. Like, I'm sure you've heard that with the Jaguars, too. Well, the Jaguars played in the AFC South. Well, who cares? It's, is that the Jaguars' fault the Texans and, and Colts stunk? No. So, you got to look at – you just got to take it with a grain of salt at this point. Jeff, there were concerns, or I guess questions might be a better word, about Jalen Hurts coming into this year. Is he the guy? Well, that has obviously been answered. What happened there? Why did he turn into – what he turned into this year? 
I think a lot of it has to do with Jalen Hurts' preparation. Jalen Hurts knew his two bigness, his two biggest weaknesses last year were throwing to his left and being able to read his own defense. And Jalen Hurts worked on that. I, I, I could tell right away from the first Eagles training camp practice this year. I'm like, oh, okay, well, Jalen Hurts knows how to read his own defense because you got Jarius, yeah, Darius Lane and James Bradbury back there, and it, you know he's completed passes off them. And you know, getting him – AJ Brown, and really, that was the only major move they made on offense. They added AJ Brown. They did get Zach Pascal, but Zach Pascal's a third receiver. Like they still have Devonta Smith. They still have Dallas Guard. They still have their running game, the best offensive line of football. But Jalen Hurts, his the ability for him to throw to his left, which he's done all year. He's been the best deep ball quarterback in football. Really worked on that. It's any weakness Jalen Hurts had, he worked on. Like now, Jalen Hurts' biggest weakness is against pressure. I guarantee you he will find a way to figure that out next year. It's it's like watching Patrick Mahomes in a way. I, I mean, he's not as talented as Patrick Mahomes, but Patrick Mahomes did so much improvising in year one and year two that you couldn't stop him. Now Patrick Mahomes knows how to read a defense. He knows how to dissect the blitz. He knows how to get rid of the ball quick, doesn't rely on his athleticism as much. And look how good the Chiefs are. It's I, I see that as the next step in Jalen Hurts' evolution, if you will. Jeff Kerr covers the NFL for CBSSports.com. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jeff, Nick Sirianni uh, is going to the Super Bowl as the head coach of Philadelphia, although a little bit of a, I guess, controversy. There was a, a New York Giants player, Julian Love, a safety, that was on the NFL Network this week that basically said Sirianni's getting a, quote, free ride and Julian Love said that a lot of people could coach this team. They're that good that maybe Sirianni's just along for the ride, and it's the players that are the reason that Philadelphia is here. You cover this team on a daily basis. What was your thoughts on that? So initially when he said it, I was like, okay, whatever. And then he doubled down on social media, which I think was a big mistake. And then I said what I was initially going to tweet out about it, what does that say about you, your team, and your coach if you think he's getting a free ride? Because the Eagles beat this team by basically 100 total points this year, and we're the first team ever to beat the Giants three times in the season. So, I, I mean, look, Nick Sirianni is excellent at what he does. He's, he, he runs – his preparation comes Monday through Saturday, and he lets Shane Steichen and, and Jonathan Gannon do everything on Sunday while he just kind of – Nick Sirianni is very good at a game plan. It, we saw that in the NFC Championship game. He dissected exactly what they were going to do. Okay, we are going to make sure we get pressure on Brock Purdy. Got him out of the game. Done. Okay, this 49ers defense is really good. Are we going to try to attack him through the air? Yeah, we can. But also, we got a really good offensive line. We got a really good ground game. Let's bully the bully. They were able to do that. And they've been doing that to a lot of teams this year. And they just beat the crap out of the 49ers, you want to be honest, uh, Brian. It was, it was more of okay, we can just run the ball down their throats. They can't stop us. That's what they did against the Giants. They ran for 268 yards in that playoff game. And I, I, I mean, I, I just think those, con those comments were so out of line by a guy who was, you know, couldn't cover Devonta Smith to save his life in that divisional playoff game. So I, I don't know. I, it's like what Brandon Graham said. People do a lot of talking when they're sitting at home on their couch. Well, it's blood in the water for you as a media guy up there in the New England area, the NFC East area, because uh, good grief when the Giants and the Eagles get together next year, 
that'll be a humongous talking point, what some of the Giants players have said about Nick Sirianni. Jeff, they're playing Andy Reid. I mean, it's a great script, right? Andy Reid against Philadelphia in the Super Bowl. We know how much trouble Andy Reid had getting Philly to a Super Bowl. Only one, and I think he went to five NFC Championship games. And now here we are, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. You got the Kelsey brothers as well, Travis and Jason. A lot of juicy storylines next week. Oh, I can't wait. So it was fun. I had to ask Jason right away what it would mean to play Travis in, in a Super Bowl. And he said, well, I'll be a Chiefs fan for three hours. Then I'm going to take my shirt off and you'll never see me root for the Chiefs again. And uh, man, if Jason really stood true to his word, there was a video that, that leaked that Jason, as soon as they won, Jason literally took the Chiefs sweatshirt off and put on an Eagles shirt. I mean, how savage is that? And it's not just that they're brothers, but they're really good. You know, of, of players that have five first-team All-Pro selections in the last seven years, there's only been like five of them. Jason and Travis Kelsey are two. It, it's, it's insane how good those two actually are. They're, they're both probably going to be first ballot Hall of Famers at their position at the rate they're going. It, it, they're definitely going to be Hall of Famers. And, I mean, to me, that's a storyline. I, I could eat up all week. I'm actually going to do a feature for CBS about it. I'm hoping to get both of them together. It's going to be hard to get both of them together in the same room, but hopefully the NFL allows that to happen. So we'll, we'll see there. But, yeah, Andy Reid facing the Eagles. I, I, I'm such a big Andy Reid fan. I, I haven't missed a Chiefs game since Andy Reid went to Kansas City. I knew he was going to work out there just because of what he built in Philadelphia, which Philadelphia still uses his philosophy to build a team based on how he constructed the front office, how you build a roster in between the trenches. You know, who to draft, you know, what to draft when you have a high draft pick, uh, the type of quarterback you want, the, the type of office, the type of offensive system, the medical staff, everything is basically how to pick a head coach. It's based off Andy Reid, and you got to give Andy Reid credit for that, and he's brought all that to Kansas City. It, it, it's absolutely insane how Andy Reid has 12 assistant coaches from his Eagle staff or who played or coached under him in Philadelphia now in Kansas city. And he's winning even more. Like he won 58% of his games with the Eagles. He's winning 73% of his games with the Chiefs. Somehow Andy Reid got better in his second stint. You know, and we talk about again, Jeff Kerr, CBS sports. We talk about the familiarity that Andy Reid and Doug Peterson had with one another before the playoff game a couple of weeks ago. Same thing with Sirianni. And Andy Reid, right? There's a lot of familiarity there. Oh, there definitely is. And and again, Andy Reid fired Nick Sirianni because he, he didn't retain him in Kansas City. Nick Sirianni was on Todd Haley's staff, and Nick Sirianni doesn't hold any grudge about that. Andy Reid loves Nick Sirianni. He, he said yesterday, he's perfect for Philly. He embraces that, that tough fan base and that culture, and he said, you need that. And look, the Eagles contact Andy Reid when they're looking for a head coach. Of, you know, Andy Reid recommended Doug Pearson to them. When they, when they went through to hire Nick Sirianni, they asked Andy Reid his opinion, and Andy Reid gave it to him. And clearly it worked because look what Nick Sirianni's doing there. It's, I, I, I mean, just everything Andy Reid's been able to do for that franchise and what Nick Sirianni's bringing to that franchise. And Nick Sirianni really does embody Philadelphia well. It's Philadelphia fans, they're not used to having – a dominant team, especially in this generation. So when they are dominating, they're going to let you know about it. And Nick Sirianni does, you know, he's not afraid to fall into the narratives. Like they beat the Cowboys this year and he yells, how about them 
How about them Eagles? And Cowboys fans took offense to it. And he said, well, you have a problem with it. Go beat us. And, you know, that's just the way Nick Sirianni is. And the team embodies that, that culture. And I remember when they beat Indianapolis, he said that one was for Frank Reich. So Sirianni yeah. is not afraid to mix it up with the opposing organization and the opposing fan base. Final moments with Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com. Those are the two head coaches, Jeff, Andy Reid and Sirianni, that will be in the Super Bowl. Three head coaches have been hired in the last week with the goal to get to the Super Bowl. Some big names, D'Amico Ryan's now in Houston with the AFC South. Obviously, Frank Reich has reemerged there in Charlotte with the Panthers. And then, of course, Sean Payton in Denver with the Broncos. Anything stand out about any of those hires that have been made here recently? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what. So the Sean Payton thing, I actually thought the Broncos were – not that they were trying to get him. I just thought they were trying to get a big fish. And they did get it. And you're seeing it now. Like, if they can get Brian Flores to be his defense coordinator, that's insane because Denver's already had a good defense coordinator in place. And with that defense, it's I, – look, I still don't think Russell Wilson is a bad quarterback. I think that Daniel Hackett was probably one of the worst head coaches we've ever seen. And – you know, and this is like Urban Meyer territory, how bad he was. So I, I think Sean Payton and Russell Wilson could be a very good thing. And if not, then the problem really is Russ. And I think Sean Payton can fix that. Um, obviously, Carolina with Frank Reich. I really like that hire. I think that's a really good fit for Carolina. They never hired an offensive head coach before. I just don't know. Who the heck are the Colts going to hire? Or the Cardinals are going to hire? I feel like no one wants to coach them. Yeah, it's weird that here we are on, what, the third day of February and the Colts and the Cardinals still looking for their head coach. And I got to tell you, Jeff, I've talked to people out in Houston. They're fired up about D'Amico Ryans. Now, it's a rebuild out there, and it'll start when they draft a quarterback here in a couple of months. Uh, but if you give D'Amico Ryans enough time, there seems to be some excitement out there in Houston again. Yeah, I'm a guy who I, I think D'Amico Ryan's going to be a good head coach in this league. And, yeah, you know, I, I think when J.J. Watt kind of leaked that picture of him and D'Amico, you kind of knew D'Amico was going to take that job. And I, I think that's the type of job D'Amico was waiting for. And I wonder if Houston said to him with the Lovey Smith thing, hey, you know what? If you're not ready yet, let's just see how next year goes and we'll, we'll come back to you. And, you know, I, I was getting the vibes that John began interview with that team three times, including last year. And when he said he was coming back, I'm like, uh-oh, that, that means D'Amico Ryans is probably going there because D'Amico looked like he was on his way out anyway. But, yeah, I mean, D'Amico Ryans was the heart and soul of that Texans team for nearly a decade. And it, he, the Eagles loved him when he was here. And, you know, you, you just knew that guy was going to be a head coach someday. And, yeah, I, I agree with you. So, I, I mean, it's like when you guys got Doug Pearson last year. How fired up were you? It's There's reason to believe in Houston again. And like you said, Hacker, it's going to take a while, but – I, I think D'Amico Ryan's is the guy to do that. And when you give a guy like that six years, that shows your belief in them. Jeff, two final questions. Number one, got to talk about Tom Brady briefly. Uh, the GOAT officially retired again. This time it does appear like it is for real. You've covered the NFL for a long time. You've certainly seen a lot of Tom Brady football over the years. Uh, your thoughts when you saw Tom Brady call it a career earlier this week? And you know what? It, it's a shame I didn't get to celebrate like I did last year because I actually thought he was done last year, and then he came back. And now it's it fit, this one felt like Michael Jordan's retirement with the Wizards. You're just like, okay, you know, that, thanks, Tom. You're still the goat. You're still the man. But you know, it, it feels like it wasn't celebrated as much as it was last year because he just dropped it out of nowhere. Oh, by the way, yeah, I, I'm done. And 
you know, I, I'm excited to see what he brings to Fox, you know, his charisma, his personality. But honestly, one of my favorite moments of Tom Brady has nothing to do with the Patriots. It's winning that Super Bowl with the Bucs. And I hated how it came against the Chiefs and Andy Reid, but man, a part of me smiled when he won that Super Bowl without Bill Belichick because um, I tell people, I don't, I'm not a hot take guy, but I think Bill Belichick might be one of the most overrated head coaches ever. The Patriot way was always the Brady way, and he does not have all those Super Bowl titles about Tom Brady. Yeah, you think about Tom Brady, 35 playoff wins, just absolutely insane. Jeff, we got 90 seconds to go. Leave us with this. I haven't talked to you since the season ended for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Final thoughts from you before free agency gets here on the Jaguar season that was here in 2022. I'll tell you what, that's a hell of a year. I, I thought Jacksonville was going to win six, seven games this year, and I thought they'd be on the right track. Now, they won nine. They won the AFC South. They won a playoff game in the craziest way possible. It's And you got a franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. I, I mean, you guys knew that, but look how good Trevor Lawrence played late in that year. And for him to come back from that first half of that playoff game where he has zero passer rating, to win that game for them, that just showed me everything I need to know. And then they almost beat Kansas City. Doug Pearson almost beat Andy Reid. It's incredible what Jacksonville was able to do this year. And I think Jacksonville, they're on the right track. Um, I think they're going to win the AFC South next year. I know it's early to predict, but they're going to spend even more money. Uh, you, you know how the Khan family is. They're going to they're going to want to build off this success. It's literally probably the first time that they, they felt like, okay, we're, we're going to have sustained success here with this coach who was – and with this quarterback, and I'm excited to see how Jacksonville goes going forward. But for the love of God, can we give this team a Sunday night football game? <laughs> yeah, no quit, no kidding. Uh, not nothing against Saturday night football or Thursday night football, but I think uh, at this point, with Cincinnati on the schedule, with Buffalo, with San Francisco, and with Kansas City on the schedule, it's a tough schedule. I think we're going to see Jacksonville probably on Sunday and Monday night here in 2023. Jeff, always appreciate the time. Know you're jam-packed. I know you're about to travel out to Arizona, man. Safe travels to the Super Bowl, and we'll talk again soon, my friend. Yeah, sounds great, Hacker. I'll tell you what, the only thing I'm going to hate about this trip is I got to lay away in Minneapolis. So that's the last place I want to be this time of year. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. We'll talk soon, bud. Yeah, I'll see you, buddy. There you go, Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com, here with us on Hacker After Dark, and you know, you think about all the news that did transpire, the Tom Brady retirement, obviously just absolutely enormous. You talk about D'Amico Ryans going to Houston, Sean Payton officially now in Denver, Frank Reich to Carolina, and we'll see what Indianapolis and Arizona do. Again, it's not too late in the process. As we talked about as we started the show tonight, it was a year ago today that the Jaguars hired Doug Peterson. Uh, with that, you know, we brought up the T. Higgins idea earlier. There's also reports out of uh, Tampa that Mike Evans could be on the move. Don't know if Tampa's in a full rebuild. They obviously have questions now that Tom Brady has retired. Marcus and Mandarin called up during the interview and was asking, you know, same idea about T. Higgins with Mike Evans. Would you know, we'd be interested, at least I would be interested in doing something like that. And my same answer is yes. With Trevor on a rookie deal, I would surround him with as much talent as possible, within reason. Again, if you were to bring in T. Higgins and that costs you Evan Ingram, eh, I mean, at that point, I don't know. What's more valuable, T. Higgins or Evan Ingram? 
I think there's questions there. I mean, we love Evan Ingram. I loved Evan Ingram. But he just had his best year as a professional with 760 yards receiving. T. Higgins in three years has never had fewer than 900 yards receiving. In the last two years, he's been a 1,000-yard receiver. So if you can upgrade the roster, knowing you don't have to pay Trevor big money until after next season, that is certainly a route that I would be very, very interested in going down with this Jaguar football team. We'll do more on the Jaguars. We'll do more on the Jaguar offseason coming up in about 30 minutes. Uh, Michael Gennetti, the co-founder of Spot Track. If you're a football fan, if you're a sports fan, you know all about that website. They have all the salaries of every player. They have the cap, how the team is against the cap, what needs to happen to get under the cap. I'm going to ask Michael flat out about Jawan Taylor, about Evan Ingram, about Arden Key, what happens with the Jaguars and Roy Robertson-Harris, Shaquille Griffin, Rayshon Jenkins, Jamal Agnew, guys they potentially may have to release to save money. If you're a Jaguar fan, it's a very interesting conversation with a guy that does this for a living, Michael Gennetti, the co-founder of SpotTrack, who covers salaries and salary cap issues. He is coming up in about a half an hour. Coming up next, let's go to Gainesville. Billy Napier and the Florida Gators. National Signing Day, the February version, in the books. Have they recovered from the Jaden Rashada fiasco? Where do they go in the quarterback room now after the Jaden Rashada fiasco? Let's talk Florida Gator football and more. Graham Hall, 247sports.com. Covering the Florida Gators over in Gainesville. He's next. Hacker After Dark on a Friday with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Florida Gators. A lot going on all over the Gator athletic uh, calendar Obviously, football, getting ready for spring ball in about a month. The basketball team was playing well. They've hit a little bit of a roadblock. And don't look now, but Gator baseball will be firing up very, very soon. For the very latest, let's head to Gainesville. Graham Hall covers the University of Florida for 247sports.com. And he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Graham, how we doing? Doing well, Ryan. Always something going on in Gainesville. My pleasure to talk about it with you, football basketball, baseball, you name it, we cover it here, 24-7 sports. Yeah, look, there's a lot going on. Let's begin with the football team. The season's been over uh, for six weeks since the bowl game. Uh, National Signing Day is this week. I don't expect really anything to happen. Most of the hay is in the barn. And they're still trying to recover, I guess, Graham, from Jaden Rashada. You and I haven't talked since that fiasco. Um, Since he was released from his National Letter of Intent, what can you tell us about the direction the Gators may go there in the quarterback room moving forward? Yeah, as for National Signing Day, this upcoming Wednesday, a very quiet one for Florida, really just expected to sign one player, offensive lineman Caden Jones, who committed to the Gators back on January 7th during the All-American Bowl. As for the quarterback position, I think a pretty uncharted territory in terms of the Jaden Rashada situation. This is a case of, you know, We've covered recruiting 
and time and time again, you see prospects flip at any point in, in the process, sometimes right up until signing day. Rarely do you see a player who has signed, has academically qualified at the school. And kind of to segue here, Ryan, Colorado showed up in Orlando across the country at the Under Armour All-American game, and he told reporters there that in a couple of days he was going to go up to Gainesville and enroll at the University of Florida. Now, if you're telling me that this kid was, you know, lying to reporters there i understand that possibility but in this new era with nil i just simply think that there's a distinct possibility that he really didn't know what was happening and that he would be unable to qualify at the university of florida uh, or to get into the university of florida and get there ultimately i i think that you had a situation where the kid just didn't know what was happening behind the scenes and not led to this current situation. It's a tough situation for all involved. I don't think Rashada looks particularly good in this either, but for the University of Florida's standpoint, I mean, this will be used against them, right? Negative recruiting and whatnot. It is not a good look overall. It's definitely not a good look, and I think it adds to the current narrative that got out there back in June really go back to when Rashado was deciding initially between Miami and Florida, you saw his representative at the time come out and say that Florida's collective was a mess and they never wanted to work with them again. And maybe this kind of confirms a lot of that. I, I, I don't want to speculate here, but publicly, at least in the narrative and like what you said, how teams will be able to negatively recruit Florida it certainly seems to confirm that we've heard a lot of great things about the Gator Collective and its efforts to, you know, reward current players on the roster with lucrative deals. I don't know. It really isn't supposed to be used for getting recruits to campus, right? So you're talking about, you're assessing, its capability with something that it really isn't shouldn't even be used for ultimately and that makes this difficult to to judge when you have parameters that are different than what the NCA has set in terms of how this should be used right now we're in a very very strange era in college football and it's why this is kind of a landmark situation and it may be when we look back on this in a couple of months maybe why we see legislation continue to change in one direction or another you could make it so possibly the state laws change in in florida so that these type of deals with high school athletes can happen and high school athletes can benefit from nil that currently isn't the case but i, I think you could see the law change just knowing how much the legislation already has changed when it comes to name image and likeness ryan graham hall 247sports.com here with us on 1010 xl in Jacksonville. All right, Graham, we know Jaden Rashada is not in the plans moving forward. Right now, Max Brown, Jack Miller, and Graham Mertz are the only three scholarship quarterbacks as we enter the month of February. Nothing else can really be done until after spring, and at that point, what starting quarterback is going to be available in the second tier of the transfer portal in May and June? So, Graham, is this kind of where we are? I mean, these are the quarterbacks, and 
Look, Billy Napier went six and seven last year. If Graham Mertz is your guy with that schedule, it could be dicey in 2023, could it not? It definitely could. Florida's really running out of scholarship spots to add anyone right now. They've added a couple of guys late in the transfer portal over the last week before that you know, final deadline to get some guys in for spring camp closed here. But you're going to have a situation, I think, where Florida goes into spring camp with a, a two-quarterback battle between Miller and Mertz. Miller was Florida's number two quarterback before he got injured in August. Jalen Kitna, no longer on the team, as many people know, ascended to the number two spot on the depth chart as a result of Miller's injury. He really only didn't get his full grip of the football back until late November, early December. This is a guy who I think second year in Billy Napier's offense, fully healthy, confident, has a chance to be the starter, which really wasn't the case last year for him. He really was not going to win that job over Anthony Richardson. Now he can win the job. It's going to be very interesting to see if Mertz, who has more experience, maybe not the ideal production that maybe as a passer a lot of people are hoping for, but it's going to be a very interesting quarterback battle despite them not having the numbers at the position they would desire. Max Brown's a very interesting one. That's a guy who's considered to be a project, and I'm unsure of how much development time he actually will get in spring camp. I think he will be there for the entirety, but right now he is a two-sport athlete at the University of Florida. He is participating during Florida baseball's preseason camp as an outfielder, played baseball at the high school level, and he's doing that right now along with workouts for the football team. So it's going to be a two-quarterback battle for Florida. As to adding to the room, if that's going to happen, which I actually do think it will happen, I think they, for insurance reasons, would like to get another quarterback in before fall camp. That, in my opinion, will happen after spring camp when you've seen players elsewhere who maybe don't win the job or even a graduate transfer guy who finishes up finishing academic requirements at their previous institution goes through spring camp, looks for a new home, can come in and provide some veteran presence before Florida can get DJ Lagway in here next January. I think that's the route that you'll see them go because as you mentioned, Ryan, there really isn't a lot of desirable quarterbacks out there right now. And rather than, necessarily waste a roster spot I think you'll see Florida wait it out a little bit right now see if the pool expands and, and maybe add to the the room there by someone who enters after spring camp I think for right now their spot at signal caller is is set for spring camp as it stands a couple of more for Graham Hall 247sports.com covering the Florida Gators Graham final football thought uh, at least for now Nothing against Austin Appleby. He's a friend of the station. I've had him on many times. But people that I've talked to kind of compare Graham Mertz, a Wisconsin transfer to a guy like Appleby, who was, a, I believe, a Purdue transfer. I mean, is that what we're talking here with Graham Mertz? Is he Austin Appleby 2.0? It's a good comparison. Now it's Coach Appleby, right? Give you, you know, shout out to him for getting into the business. I think that you have a guy who can provide a veteran presence, make some throws, you know, give Austin Appleby some credit. He won some games for Florida. A lot of the shortcomings for that team weren't necessarily his fault. I think ultimately there was some off-the-field stuff, some some in-game management stuff as well that that led to what really 
the unraveling, let's call it that, of the Jim McElwain era. I think for Austin Appleby, you had a guy who was productive elsewhere in the Big Ten and then comes over here, can manage the game. It's a good comparison in my mind. I think that if he ends up winning the job, it will be kind of a similar situation to what led to Austin Appleby winning the job. And that's the other guy, the guy who was on the roster, either has too many shortcomings, has too many turnovers, isn't leading the offense efficiently, or ends up losing that job in spring camp. But I do think there's a precedent for players, particularly at the professional level, to not lose their job due to injury. And I'm interested to see how much that plays into Jack Miller's placement in spring camp. Is he going to get a shot to be the starter as he's the returning guy started in the bowl game on December 17th, worked his way up to number two, more familiar with the offense. Are they going to make Graham Mertz come in and win that job? Or is it going to be a similar situation to what happened in August, really, with Ricky Pearsall, where you have a guy who absolutely comes in and and gets the number one jersey, even though they haven't participated in a camp? Yeah, and, it's going to be very interesting to see. Graham Hall does a terrific job covering the Florida Gators for 247sports.com, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Graham, always appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Let's do it again right about the start of spring football. We'll see where the Gator football program is at that point. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. There you go, Graham Hall, 247sports.com. You know, speaking of the Florida Gators – This is just one Twitter handle. Uh, Big Game Boomer is a college football podcast. I got like 75,000 followers on Twitter. I mean, it's it's a reasonable podcast. They throw stuff out there from time to time. And I saw this today. And uh, it was an attention grabber. Again, does it mean anything in the grand scheme of things? No, but I think Gator fans will find it interesting. So this college football podcast, Big Game Boomer, again, decent following, 75,000 on Twitter, did their way too early SEC predictions for 2023. In the West, they had LSU, Alabama, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Auburn, Mississippi State, and Texas A&M. In the East, they had Georgia winning followed by South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, then Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Florida. Had the Gators finishing dead last in the SEC East. A couple of Gator players quote tweeted this and said, yeah, we'll see about that. Hey, whatever they want to use as motivation. But I will tell you, that I think that might be a little outrageous. But come April and May when Athlon and Lindy's and come July when Phil Steele and all of these publications hit the newsstands, Gator fans, you're not going to be happy. I bet you are picked to finish fifth, if not sixth, in the SEC East. We did this on the Gator Bites podcast. I got to go quick here. You look at the Florida schedule. Your give me, your gimme games, you have two of them, right? Was like McNeese State and Charlotte, I think, are your gimme games. And then you should beat Vanderbilt. You should. It's in Gainesville. I know Vandy beat you last year, but come on. If you can't beat Vandy at home, 
I don't know what to tell you. So let's assume you win those three. Your toss-up games are then at South Carolina, home against Missouri, or at, I'm sorry, at Missouri, home against Arkansas. So at South Carolina, at Missouri, home against Arkansas, I think are 50-50 games. The games where you will clearly be an underdog, at Utah, Tennessee, at Kentucky, Georgia, at LSU, Florida State. There's not a question in my mind. Florida's probably a double-digit underdog in most of those six games. Is Florida going to go to a bowl game? I don't know, man. Yeah, Graham Mertz is your starting quarterback. That's the reality of the situation right now. We obviously have a lot of time to discuss this, but on paper, doesn't look great right now down in Gainesville. We'll see what happens come spring ball in a little over a month. One hour down, one hour to go. Here on Hacker After Dark, we're with you till 10 o'clock Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. As always, you can stream the show every night. On our YouTube channel, just go to 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see the show there until 10 o'clock. Likewise, on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter, you'll see the show there until 10 o'clock this evening. With Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. More to do on a Friday night edition of Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Denmark, did you say $100 if I know this song? Yup. Does that mean I have to give you $100 if I don't know the song? No. Good. No idea, huh? No idea. This didn't make the iPod shuffle. Damn, that's Gucci Mane, East Atlanta Santa. Song's called Lemonade. You should you should bump to it on the way home. What is this guy's name? Gucci Mane. Okay. No, M-A-N-E, no. Maine. Gucci Maine. Yep. <laughs> no, I, I'm not familiar with his work. All right. I enjoy the song, though, immensely, actually. Got a little good beat to it. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not exactly Travis Tread or Tracy Lawrence or Brooks and Dunn, but or it's AC, not terrible. Yeah, or ACDC, no. It's a little different. You got big plans for your 25th birthday tonight? Uh, Going home, sleep, and... uh. Your boy's got four flag football games tomorrow, so that'll be a negative. Your 25th birthday tonight on a Friday night, and you're going to go home and go to sleep. Yep. I like I'm not that. Like, I'm, I'm not one of those people that's, like, got to celebrate it on the day. Like, I can celebrate on the weekend, next weekend, you know? That's fair. That's fair. I don't fault you for that. Quickly, before we get to Michael Gennetti of Spot Track and Jaguar fans, I think you're going to find that conversation very interesting. I'll tell you something I find interesting is – society in today's day and age. Uh, Tom Brady announced his retirement earlier this week on a beach in Tampa, Florida. And I'll give somebody credit because it's a heck of an idea. They found the location where Tom Brady was sitting down to make his retirement video. They brought, I would assume, a box or some sort of contraption to put that sand in it's a making jar a making jar and they filled it with the sand that tom brady was sitting on 
And it's going on eBay, and it's getting bids as we currently speak. Uh, Denmark, that's incredible to me. Yeah, it's uh, $99,900. That's almost the same as, I don't know, $100,000. 124 bids have been on it. So what the guy did was took pictures, screenshots of Tom Brady. He took a selfie with like these buildings in the background with grass behind him, and then he took the exact same picture from where he's at from where Tom Brady was pretty much. So this guy is going to be rich. So the guy found where Tom Brady's butt cheeks were indeed on this beach in Tampa, got that sand, put it into a jar. It's going on eBay and it's getting bid for over a hundred thousand dollars. Yep. And, uh, you still, uh, if you're interested eight days and 17 hours, the last day to bid would be February 12th. That's like what they did at Disney a couple weeks ago. The last splash mountain ride, people were getting the water out of splash mountain and that was going up on eBay and that was going for big money as well. Yeah. Hey, so, uh, look, if people want to bid on that sort of stuff, that's their deal. Uh, that guy who did that in the beach in Tampa, smart. Yeah, it's also uh, $5 for shipping. Can't, oh. can't forget that. There you go. All right. Speaking of money, we're going to talk money. We're going to talk a lot of money. The Jaguar offseason outlook. Michael Gennetti of Spot Track. There's not many that are better. There might not be any that are better in his work. With the salary cap, he does an outstanding job. He is the co-founder of that website. Let's kind of lay out the Jaguar offseason for you, financially speaking. That's next, Hacker After Dark, on a Friday, here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Inside of six weeks till NFL free agency, there are a lot of moves to be decided in the coming days and weeks, a lot of moves here in Jacksonville. And how active can Jacksonville be? They have... I would call it some cap issues going into free agency. For all the very latest, let's go to Michael Gennetti of Spot Track. It's one of the websites that you want to go to this time of year that tells you everything you need to know about where your team is with the salary cap. Michael, it's been a while, man. How are you? Doing well. Obviously a busy season for us and uh, you guys as well now that there's uh, some excitement to talk about around there. Yeah, look, we've had you on in years past where the Jaguars had, you know, 80, 90, 100 million dollars in cap room. They certainly used a lot of that last uh, year and had a great turnaround. But let's dive right in. All right, so 32 million, I guess, is the projected number the Jaguars are over the cap. Michael, first and foremost, how daunting a task Will that be for general manager Trent Balky here over the next couple of weeks to get under that cap figure? Uh, I've seen worse. I've, I'm, I'm seeing worse right now in this league. And uh, look, it's a, it's a product of what happened last offseason, right? That was a big splashy free agency, 160 guaranteed added to the books. Um, generally, when that happens, year one is nice and soft, and year two gets ugly quickly. However, uh, and look, there's going to be a couple of bodies that fall off the roster. It's just how the nature works here. But uh, you've got four or five contracts that you can restructure quickly that you, you'll have no problem doing, right? Your Christian Kirks, your Luicons, your Zay Jones, your Cam Robinsons, most likely, that gets you basically cap neutral right there. You know, you can, you can tinker with four base salaries coming up here for 2023 and get yourself right about back to zero. So it's not going to be a plentiful spending season for Jacksonville, but you know, you're not going to have back-to-back situations like that in a hard cap system. Michael, before we dive right in, I'm assuming that everybody listening, or at least most people listening tonight, 
know about Spot Track. It is, like I said, a website that this time of year is just gold for the sports fan to figure out, you know, where your team is with the cap. But for the those that, that maybe aren't familiar with you guys, just do a brief synopsis of the website and how the website came to be. Sure. We're uh, celebrating our 15th anniversary actually right now and uh, started off as a baseball blog where I just kind of structured and laid out some contracts for A-Rod and the big, you know, pool holes and those guys. And uh, we realized there was a yearning for this really with all the sports. So we quickly flipped over to football and dove into the salary cap and the hard situation there. And uh, it's evolved to uh, everything we can think of in the book, right? Live Golf is there now. We're doing F1 sports, but it's uh, it's a reference point for, for full contracts, for contract breakdowns, salary, salary cap information. Uh, and then now we're diving more and more into the projection side of it and analyzing these players and kind of predicting where they might be financially over the next couple of seasons as well. So it's a it's a it's a it's a big old system that we actually absolutely love. And it's a labor of love at that. Michael Gennetti of Spot Track. All right. Thirty two million is at least the number that we're going to go with. That's the number that the Jaguars appear to be over the cap. Let's start with the very basics. Shaq Griffin. You save a lot of that by simply releasing Shaq Griffin, Michael, do you not? Yeah, over $13 million. That seems like a no-brainer. Even if you want that kind of a player back, you get out of this contract and start over for sure. All right, so assuming Shaq Griffin's gone, I think that's a pretty safe assumption. That takes care of $13 million. We've had a couple of conversations here locally. These did not seem to be hard conversations three months ago with Roy Robertson-Harris and Rayshon Jenkins, yet both of those guys played very well, Michael, towards the end of the year. What can be done with Roy Robertson-Harris and Rayshon Jenkins, or is there a chance that the money is too valuable to be saved and one or both of those guys could also be released? Yeah, there's a surplus there in that defensive line, right? And I think you have to talk about Josh Allen and players like that getting new contracts this year. So um, I think I think that's a, that's a very, very prominent bubble player right now in Robertson-Harris, and that's a player that a lot of teams could could plug and play into their defensive line um look a lot of things went right and i think a lot of things got better after week eight or nine on that team so there's going to be decisions you want to make that that are probably not financially sound and i think throwing uh, an extension offer to a player in his final year of his contract like robertson harris makes a lot of sense here you could restructure that seven million into a signing bonus lower things down into the four or five million dollar cap world and save yourself five million while keeping a good, you know, depth player who can start on the defensive line as well. So I'm not certainly sure that you're going to chop those players off right now when you're you're building up as quickly as you are in Jacksonville. You know, same question with Rayshon Jenkins. You could argue from the safety position he might have been the Jaguars' best defensive player the last two months of the year. I think you would save $6 roughly releasing him. But again, that's a guy that seems to be too valuable to me to let go. And that's a big need, right? They need to build that secondary up even more this offseason. So I think you're keeping them not only for the veteran status, but for depth purposes. And then you're going back to the draft and adding to that with a young chief rookie contract to add with them. General Manager Trent Balky was uh, praised by many in your field. And I'm curious, and you can certainly speak to this, about the way he structured those contracts last year. Spent a lot of money, like you said, Kirk, Zay Jones, Aluakon, Sheriff, you name it. But the way they were structured seemed to make a lot of sense with folks that study the cap. If you could uh, talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah, look, it's not about spreading things out as much as possible anymore. I've talked about this quite a bit with what the 49ers have to do and a couple of these teams that are really, really at the top of the contention window right now. Uh, you've got to you've got to handle things so that the player's happy, that you, your cap is happy, obviously, but also that you can be flexible. Right? We, we're having these discussions because of the way these contracts are structured. If you're dealing with what the Rams do every single year, which is bonus here, bonus there, bonus there, it leaves you very little room to grow or manipulate or, or be flexible. So – uh, high base salaries, simple signing bonuses. It's kind of an old school structure, but when you do that times eight or nine, which is what happened last off season, now you've got kind of a sandbox to work with. And yes, there are some higher cap hits, right? There's a bunch of twenties sitting on this table right now, but you can drop those into the elevens and twelves pretty quickly and uh, keep this train rolling pretty fast. Mike Mike Janetti, Spot Track here with us on Ten Ten XL in Jacksonville. Another thing that people in your field, and I'm curious your thoughts because you're one of the main guys in the field have talked about Trent Baalke and what he's done is not pushing money into the future, mm-hmm. kind of taking the initial hit in year one or year two, but that saves you money down the road. Again, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. And you said it better there is that, is that you want to, you want to be able to keep the player happy with cash flow, and you want to do that in a way that for the first couple of seasons, you might have, it might have to be painful, right? And and then, and then it gets better and better and more valuable and more valuable. It's kind of the opposite of how a rookie contract works. Uh, so when you're getting a ton of value on rookie contracts with 45% of your roster, you're able to take a little bit more on with those veteran contracts. And oh, by the way, it's more attractive to players from free agency when they're looking for contracts across the board. It's more attractive for agents. We'll say, we'll say not only are we going to you know, throw a big roster bonus in or a big signing bonus in at the top of this thing, but we're going to make sure you're paid well salary-wise as well, even though from a cap perspective, it's not the most value we can possibly get right now. So it, it, it's one of those ways to get people in the door. It's another way to keep them here. And by the way, by, by year three or four, you've got really nice cap value on those contracts. The TV money uh, apparently comes in after the 24 season. The salary cap is projected to go up because of that pretty substantially. How does that TV money coming in after this upcoming season, Michael, play into what some teams like the Jaguars will do here over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, there's no question the agents are going to be talking about it, right? And, and everything's going to have to go up and, uh, and escalate appropriately. I think from a cap perspective, if I just speak to the league, they're probably going to keep things about where they did this year. So about a $15 million or so increase next year. And the only reason I'm saying that is while the TV money is going to be crazy and, and the revenue streams and, and the ratings and everything are, are really bouncing off the walls here, um, they're still paying back a lot of these COVID uh, payments that they had to take out and the loans they took out over the past two, three seasons. So there's some payback to the Players Association and other entities that have to get done. So I think we can expect what happened this year to happen next year. And in that regard, you know, that, that's more than we've ever seen over the past uh, 10 years or so in terms of the cap jump. So teams are going to benefit from it. And look, Trevor Lawrence is coming up after this season. So uh, it's always a good time to have cap flexibility and a lead cap that goes way up when your quarterback has to get paid. A couple of more from Michael Gennetti of Spot Track. All right, Trent Balky last week in his season-ending press conference said the cash is important, not necessarily the cap. What do you think he meant by that? It's an underrated point. It's not, and not enough people use the cash trackers on our website because uh, the cap is such a talking point. It's, it's something that you know is so flexible and movable that it's uh, it's at least a, a daily discussion. But look, this is real cash that gets paid out that these owners have to deal with on an annual basis. And for a lot of teams, they're not spending enough cash. Quite frankly, for instance, the Dallas Cowboys were the least cash salary team last year in football. 
And uh, I think down the stretch, you saw from a depth perspective that that, that came back to bite him. So uh, it, the, the Jaguars currently rank fifth in cash payouts for 2023. They're top five right now across the board. And a lot of that has to do with those high salaries I was telling you about front loaded into those free aging contracts. So that's going to, you know, pull back on what they can do this offseason. And there's not going to be massive extensions. There's not going to be big time free agent splashes if you're already top five in cash across the league. Michael, there's three guys that Jaguar fans want back here in Jacksonville. And my question to you, and we'll do them individually, is is it feasible to, be, to bring all three guys back? We'll begin with Arden Key. He signed one of those one-year prove-it deals, and he did a very good job here in this one year in Jacksonville. But certainly he's going to command some money on the open market. Do the Jaguars, in your opinion, have the flexibility to bring a guy like Arden Key back? I'd say no at this point. I, I think he deserves it. I think he's going to go out and get the payday he wanted to get last year, but but showcased himself this year appropriately, as you mentioned. Uh, I think he had a better, you, you know, a better overall year this year than he's had in his career to date. Even though the sacks are a little bit lower than 2021, but uh, he's going to go out there and find a 10 million plus per year contract. And uh, I don't think that's something Jacksonville wants to squeeze in, just because they are, as I mentioned, a little bit. They have a little bit of a surplus on that defensive line. They can move around a little bit. Same question, maybe a more pressing issue here. Evan Ingram at tight end. Certainly Jaguar fans would love to have him back. Is that feasible? It's feasible. I think it's doable. I think it wants to get, I think both sides want this to happen. Uh, and when that happens, usually you can get something done, even if it has to be, you know, a three-year deal that, that looks more like a one-year deal structure-wise. But, uh, you know, you get a nice little guarantee built into that. I'd, I'd, I'd say something around what Hunter Henry got in New England after he left the Chargers probably fits the bill here. So, I'm not, you know, around that $12 million per year is probably where this ends up. But, again, if it's three for 36, it's really going to be about one for 12, and we'll see what happens after that. And uh, maybe the biggest one, the youngest guy here, only four years in the league, coming off his best year in 2022, right tackle Jawan Taylor. You would think, Michael, that guy is going to have quite the market there in free agency. Yeah, anytime an offensive lineman who can play football gets hits the open market, the uh, everything starts to go a little wild. So, you know, a guy like that is is going to be valuable. Uh, if they plan to replace him in the draft, then that's how this is going to go. Otherwise, you're going to have to start paying out money because those right tackle markets are now upwards of $20 million per year when you're talking about Lane, you know, Ryan Ramchek and Lane Johnson and those kind of players. So it's uh, – it's not cheap to keep an offensive line intact, especially one with depth, but uh, I imagine he's the next to get paid the big cash. Final moments here with Michael Gennetti of Spot Track. Uh, franchise tag wise, again, the Jaguars have basically come out and said they would rather not do that this year. If it does come to that with either Taylor or Ingram, would it be financially feasible where the Jaguars are with the cap to use the franchise tag on one of those guys? I don't, I don't think so, and I think I'm saying it the same way they're saying it, where they, if they have to do it, they'll do it. But I don't think when you're talking about with a, a tight end of about you know eleven and a half million or so, an offensive lineman over eighteen million on the on that on that cap, uh, I don't think that's the way they want to go with this. I think they'd rather have the cap flexibility that they've awarded themselves with other contracts. But one of those two players might be too too valuable to even let hit the open market because they know the price is going to skyrocket after that. And Michael, you brought this up earlier, and we're going to see this in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow this offseason. We'll probably see it in L.A. with Justin Herbert as well as much as you want to plan for the next year here in Jacksonville 365 days from now they're going to be ready to start talking extension with Trevor Lawrence so how much pre-planning goes into knowing you're going to be playing a quarterback 
upwards of $45, $50 million a year. 100%. (laughs) It's the elephant in the room right now. It probably has been for the past couple of months. And you want to go back to cash. Uh, yes, it's the average per year, the 50 million per year that a lot of people are going to focus on, but how about the, where the guarantees are going, right? I mean, we're going to see somebody here get over 200 million guaranteed, maybe fully guaranteed at signing. And, and that's cash that has to go immediately into an escrow the second that that's fully guaranteed at signing hits. So, uh, the cash portion of the, of the first three year, four years of quarterback contracts is getting really, really wild. And that's putting a dent in ownership right out of the gate. Michael, final question. Let's imagine worst-case scenario. Hopefully this doesn't happen, but stay with me here. And Let's say the Jaguars lose Arden Key, Jawan Taylor, and Evan Ingram. Uh, if they lose all those contracts and all those guys depart in free agency, would they then have money to go out and maybe potentially make a splash of their own? They'd have to do some real, real big work, and Balky's going to have to go against his moniker of restructuring and really do, you know, half a dozen or so massive restructures to get themselves into the 20s and 30s of, of black cap space at this point. Um, so I, I don't think that's where they want to be. I think they'd rather be able to manipulate a couple of, of contracts, maybe extend Josh Allen and lower his cap hit, and uh, and bring back some of those players on team-friendly, cap-friendly deals but uh, I don't anticipate, after what we saw last offseason, the team going back out there and making three or four splashy contracts this offseason. Michael Gennetti of Track. That website is awesome year-round, but it doesn't get a whole lot better over the next six weeks. If you want all the information on your team's salary caps, your team's contract situation, I cannot recommend Track enough. Michael, know you're busy this time of year, man. Thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. You bet. My pleasure. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Super Bowl still over a week away, but there is certainly a ton going on in the National Football League. Some brand new head coaches, some brand new interesting offensive coordinator hires. And with that, let's go out to Los Angeles, California. Fernando Ramirez, he's our guy when it comes to the L.A. Chargers. And they made an interesting hire with former Cowboy offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. Fernando, how we doing, man? Hey, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on again. And obviously, it's been uh, it hasn't been that long since we talked. We talked a couple of weeks ago, but definitely, uh, definitely excited to be back. You know, before we get into Kellen Moore, you brought up a good point. Obviously, the Jaguars and the Chargers, a, a legendary game from the Jacksonville point of view with that comeback. You and I haven't talked since that game obviously was played. Uh, have the Chargers, the, the the city, the fan base, it's been a couple of weeks now. Have they recovered from what happened here in Jacksonville? Well, I mean, if Arian Foster has anything to say about it, it was scripted. So the <laughs> script came out pretty well for the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, if we're going to if we're gonna go that route. But, um, but you know what? I, I think there's still a lot of frustration from Charger fans. They The, the thing is, is that everything's kind of snowball affecting. What do I mean by that? It's just that, now they're looking at the cap space. Well, the Chargers are 19 million un, uh, over the cap. Now there's talks about, oh, maybe they have to cut Keenan Allen. Well, now it's like, okay, so is our team going to get worse? What's going on? And like, it just, it, it's like Charger fans don't like, they have to be in freakout mode 24 7. So uh, it still feels like there is uh, frustration, there is embarrassment. Um, some fans wanted Brandon Staley fired and Sean and the team to trade for Sean Payton. Uh, well, they wanted Tom, Brandon Staley and Tom Telesco fired. Um, they ended up uh, not doing any of that. They kept him. They fired Joe Lombardi. They fired Shane Day, the quarterback's coach. 
And like you said, they brought in Kellen Moore, which was obviously uh, it felt like that was the shortest. Um, that was the shortest unemployment a guy's ever been on because he literally was uh, he was probably uh, free for less than what do you want to put it? Twelve hours? Like he he really got snatched up quick. Every, and he even he told us today uh, he told us on on Wednesday I got snatched up quick. We talked and I talked to Brandon and they literally didn't let me leave. So uh, so it was. Um, Everything happened very quick for them. That's that's who I guess Brandon really wanted, and and uh, and they snatched him up quickly, uh, not letting him leave. So there's a lot of there's a lot of optimism with this offense now that uh, Kellen Moore is here. That's what I've noticed from the fan base. There is optimism um, because they they hired Kellen Moore. Fernando Ramirez of the Sporting Tribune. You mentioned Brandon Staley following that Jaguar game. Were you surprised that he wasn't um, let go? Was there a legitimate conversation about that out there? Um, there was between the fans and I'm sure media members, but I'm sure in the Spanos family and, and, uh, in their inner circle, there wasn't, um, just because that's not really typically how the Spanos family do business. Uh, they're more of, they, they, they're usually, and this is, I mean, I've learned, uh, throughout the years of, uh, of being around, um, not just the NFL, the Spanos family and everything is that usually teams like to give guys three years to really determine what kind of head coach, what kind of player, what kind of anything that a certain individual is going to be. And uh, I feel like they they wouldn't have cut him two years uh, after two years. They're, I think they're going to give him this year. They're going to see what they have. But I really do think that they, Tom Telesco and uh, and uh, and Brandon Staley, I, I think, I, I don't know. I don't know how hot it is, but I'm it's starting to heat up, especially with what happened. So, uh, and then obviously Sean Payton now goes to Denver. Now the division's going to get even tougher, and especially if Aaron Rodgers or somebody like that makes his way over to the Raiders, it's going to get even more competitive. So, and I'm sure the seat will get, um, it's going to get a little bit more nerve wracking. But I really do think that uh, that the Spanish family didn't have any intention of letting him go. Uh, they believe in him. The players believe in him. Uh, a guy like Joey Bosa. I, I mean, I know everybody saw what happened um, in that Jacksonville game, but that's not really who Joey is. I've gotten to know Joey since he got drafted. He's really, um, he's soft-spoken, but when he talks, he he really means what he says. And he said, he's one of those guys that when he speaks, you listen. And he said, you know what? I really like Brandon. I think Brandon is, he's been good for us as a team, as an organization. Uh, and we believe in his message. So uh, when you have a guy like Joey Bosa coming out and saying that about you, that, that really uh, should mean the world to Brandon and his staff. Yeah, speaking of Joey Bosa, I was going to ask you about him. After he lost his mind here in Jacksonville, then there was video of him this past weekend at the NFC Championship game supporting his brother Nick, but the Philadelphia fans really riding Joey Bosa, and he's on camera um, saying some things that you know probably shouldn't be said by a star yeah. defensive player. I'm not going to repeat them here. It's not hard to find the video. Um yeah, what do you say about Joey Bosa? I mean, obviously, it appears on the surface like that Jacksonville loss certainly is still affecting him. Um, I don't know because that's how Joey is. Like Joey likes to talk trash, not talk trash, but like I think Joey was just going back and forth in a fun way with the fan. Like everybody knows how Philly fans are. I personally think I, I mean, obviously, the guy taking the video, like, why are you take, doing that? But I, people do it for clicks. But I think Joey literally was just kind of in a set in his own way because yeah he, he has a dry sense of humor and everything. I think he was just going back and forth with the fan, not maliciously, just having fun with him, knowing how Philly fans are. 
That's just my opinion. I, I just don't know. That's the way I kind of take it. Because uh, a couple of years ago, he was in San Francisco, and uh, and a couple of fans were telling him, Joey, come up to San Fran. And Joey's like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm going to come up to San Fran. Well, a beat writer wrote a, a full story about how his sources told him that Joey Bosa was going to go to the 49ers as soon as he was a free agent. And, and I spoke to Joey, and Joey's like, dude, how in the hell am I going to go and go to the 49ers? Like, I'm invested with the Chargers. I'm a Charger. Like, the guys were just telling me, oh, hey, fans were yelling at me stuff. And I was like, uh-huh, sure, I'll listen to you. I'll do whatever you guys want uh, if you guys leave me alone. And I was going back. I was chirping at some fans. So, obviously, they're going to take everything I say and, and twist it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I feel like Joey is. He really isn't a guy that is malicious with anything that he does. I, th- I just think he was having fun being sarcastic with, uh, with those Philly fans. A couple of more for Fernando Ramirez of the Sporting Tribune covering the Los Angeles Chargers. Fernando, back to Kellen Moore. What can he bring to this offense? What can he bring to Justin Herbert? Well, to be honest, he hasn't been around a forty-year-old quarterback that that doesn't uh, that has lost his arm strength. So maybe he'll cater. No, I'm just I'm just completely joking. Uh, it's good. That, that was the that was the issue with um, with Joe Lombardi is that it felt like he had an offense. He surrounded Justin Herbert with an offense that looked like it was for a forty-year-old quarterback that his arm was shot, and and you you're like you just have a brand new kid who who just came into the league and and he has a rocket for an arm. Why aren't you using it? But uh, Kellen Moore said all the right things. We want to look down the field. We want to. Uh, he said that he's going to come in. He is not going to go. He's not going to slam a playbook and tell Justin, "I want you to learn everything that we did in Dallas." No, he's like, "I'm going to come in. I'm going to sit in with Justin, with uh, Brandon, whoever we hire as the quarterbacks coach. We're going to sit down and we're going to build this playbook around what Justin does well, which is what fans have wanted from the beginning. At times, the Joe Lombardi offense seems stale. It seems like Kellen Moore is going to bring that in. Another thing is the Chargers have not ran the football particularly well in years. You saw it in Jacksonville. At the end of the game, they were trying to run the ball out, and it, it just Austin Eckler is not that kind of back. So I think they're going to try and go find a back who can do something like that, who can uh, help them run out the clock and tire out a defense. Um, I really do think that uh, a lot of changes are going to come on the um, on the offensive side of the foot. Changes in the sense of, um, in the sense that uh, there, there's going to be positive changes for the offense. Um, he has Mike Williams, he has Keenan Allen, he has Josh Palmer. He has a lot of good weapons to work on. Now it's about getting Justin more weapons. He talked about it. Speed is dangerous, especially for an offense that's built like this. So I'm sure they're going to try and add uh, speed to this offense, uh, and that's that's the key. They have to add speed, and I think they need to add a tight end too. Um, a tight end that can really help bring this offense to that next level. You want a Travis Kelsey, a Rob Gronkowski. Now, they're they're hard to find, but once you find them, they become a generational talent. And the Chargers have been good at doing two things, finding quarterbacks and finding tight ends. Kellen Winslow, Dan Fouts, Phillip Rivers, Antonio Gates. You have Justin Herbert. Now it's time to go find that tight end of the future. So, uh, so But Kellen Moore just seems like he really uh, – he's bringing um, – He's bringing a lot of positivity in, and he said it. He's like, I'm so excited to get to work with Justin. And, and really, a change of scenery, he said, is a, is a good thing for him because he was in Dallas for seven or eight years as a player and as a coach. So I'm sure he kind of wanted to change the scenery. The only thing is it sucked that he had to be the scapegoat um, for the Cowboys, but it seems like he's excited. And then this could catapult Kellen one year under Justin Herbert with Justin Herbert 
could catapult him into a head coaching job, especially because he was already a white hot candidate. Maybe uh, working with Justin for one year can really catapult him into his next job. Yeah, I want to say Kellen Moore actually interviewed here in Jacksonville before the Jaguars hired Doug Peterson. He mentioned a tight end, Fernando. Last time I checked, Dalton Schultz is a free agent in Dallas. Maybe that could be a connecting of the dots. Schultz comes over with Kellen Moore to L.A. Just something to think about. Justin Herbert uh, had, uh, I guess, some surgery on a uh, labrum, I believe, to repair yeah. this offseason. Uh, no no issues there, right? He'll be ready for OTAs? No. Yeah, no, he'll be ready for – he uploaded a picture and he said, I'll be ready. The Chargers have told us that he'll be ready for, uh, for spring. Uh, and I think the labrum happened – it might have happened in the Rams game. Um, Cause he was heavily uh, taped, not heavily taped, but he had that black tape uh, for the Broncos game and the Jacksonville game. And I don't think he had had that before. So I think it might've happened in the Rams game, but yeah, no, he, he's um, they said that he should be ready to go and, uh, and he'll, he'll be ready for off season conditioning. Final moments here with Fernando Ramirez of the sporting tribune. You mentioned it earlier, the AFC West, you guys have added Kellen Moore in LA, Sean Payton has come into the division there in Denver. What was the reaction in Los Angeles knowing that a lot of Charger fans wanted Sean Payton for themselves? He now goes to a division rival. Yeah, I think some Charger fans were a little frustrated with that move, especially because everybody knows what Sean Payton brings. Now the only thing is, can Sean Payton revive the career of Russell Wilson? Uh, Russell Wilson was seen as, before he came to uh, Denver, he was seen as a, uh, not a franchise, a potential Hall of Fame quarterback. Now I think he's lost the label of Hall of Fame quarterback. It's basically potentially a Hall of Fame quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, the dynamic is. But I know now, um, obviously, there is worrisome because now you have Andy Reid uh, in the division. You have Sean Payton, two coaches that have won Super Bowls. Uh, and then obviously, Josh McDaniels, no slouch. Like he's going to, he's going to uh, coach hard and, and uh, he's going to, um, He's, he's not a pushover, so this division just got a lot tougher with Sean Payton in it. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see because Denver has a lot of holes they need to fix. That offensive line is terrible. Their defensive line and front seven – their front seven needs a lot of work as well. They have a good secondary, but uh, but Denver needs work. The Chargers need work, and the only thing is that the Chargers don't have money. So they're gonna. I'm, pr I'm pretty sure they're going to be looking toward, more towards the draft. And then Kansas City has money, and they also have draft picks. And, oh, hey, they – they have one of the best coaches in the NFL. So this division is very tough, man. I, I really – and I see the Chargers schedule for next year, and I'm like, dang, I, I don't know if this is going to be a playoff team or not. But, um, but I mean, when you have Justin Herbert, I guess, uh, like Kevin Garnett said, anything is possible. <laughs> yeah, we feel your pain with the schedule. Jacksonville plays Cincinnati, San Francisco, Buffalo, and Kansas City next year, all uh, outside of the division. So we certainly uh, understand that. Fernando, leave us with this. 90 seconds left. You mentioned Kansas City. Uh, we felt their wrath in the playoffs. You guys have to play them twice a year. Mahomes just continues to do his thing. Andy Reid continues to do his thing. Is it admiration almost that you battle this team and, and you see how good they are, or is it frustration in Los Angeles knowing another division rival in Kansas City is going to their third Super Bowl in four years. Well, I think it's frustration because if you really look at it, the Denver Broncos, the last time the Chargers uh, won this division was in 2009. The Broncos dominated this division, won a Super Bowl. Then the Chiefs have dominated this division, have won a Super Bowl. And the Chargers have played Kansas City tough every single year since Patrick Mahomes has been in. 
and uh, and they just couldn't uh, they couldn't get over the hump this year. They couldn't beat them. So I'm sure there is a lot of frustration with Charger fans. I'm sure uh, California will be a, a, an Eagles uh, an Eagles um, or I mean LA will be uh, well, LA Charger fans will be going for the Eagles next Sunday. But yeah, no, there's frustration. There's hope, but uh, there is a lot of frustration because the Chargers keep on falling on that same sword of blowing leads or not being able to run the football not being able to stop the run. So I'm sure that those two are going to be uh, big focuses this offseason. Fernando Ramirez of the Sporting Tribune. He's our guy when it comes to the Los Angeles Chargers. Fernando, always appreciate the time. Thank you very much. As developments warrant, man, we'll talk more this offseason. Always appreciate you, pal. Perfect. Thank you so much. And uh, to everybody in Jacksonville, I hope you guys are having a good start to the year. And let's enjoy uh, Super Bowl Sunday because it's the last game we're going to have for a while, but thank you. And yeah, anytime you need me, I'm always available. Appreciate you, Ryan. And thank you to Fernando Ramirez of the Sporting Tribune for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. You know, it's always interesting to get the perspective of a team that lost in the fashion that they did to the Jaguars. And then obviously a lot of change, right? In the last three weeks since that game, they've uh, had a lot of coaching staff turnover, including the hiring of former Dallas Cowboy offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, Justin Herbert had labrum surgery, although they said he should be good to go by OTAs. So certainly appreciate appreciate Fernando's perspective on all of that tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy Friday night edition. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. As always, we got a lot of people to thank. Again, Fernando Ramirez of the Sporting Tribune. My man Graham Hall of 247sports.com covering the Florida Gators over there in Gainesville as the last national signing day, if you will, the February signing day now in the books and all eyes begin turning towards spring football, which is about five or six weeks away for Billy Napier and Florida. Thank you to Jeff Kerr, cbssports.com covering the National Football League. Always enjoy talking ball with Jeff. We talk Super Bowl, head coaching hires, and he gave his final thoughts on the Jaguar 2022 campaign. And Michael Gennetti, the co-founder of Spot Track, we brought you that tonight as well. Uh, salary cap, contracts, what can the Jaguars do to get under the cap? How active can they be in free agency? Can they re-sign all of their in-house guys, including the three big ones, Arden Key, Evan Ingram, and Jawan Taylor. If you missed that conversation with Michael Gennetti, the co-founder of Spot Track, you can head over to our website, 1010XL.com, and click on the On Demand section. Well, that'll do it for the week here on Hacker After Dark. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always, and a happy birthday, brother. 25 years young today for Mr. Dylan Denmark. Hope you have a terrific birthday weekend. We will be back on Monday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. So for all of us here on Hacker After Dark, have an absolutely terrific weekend, everybody, and we will talk to you on Monday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Good night, Jacksonville.